What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of 90 Men and Pledgeball's podcast series, Football's Climate Conversation, in which we take a look at how climate change is affecting the beautiful game. In this episode, we'll be discussing the Women's World Cup and the campaigns going on to decrease its carbon footprint. I'm your host, Katie Cross, founder and CEO of Pledgeball. And with me today, I have Ariana Cristioni. Ariana is a former professional football player who finished her career at Paris Saint-Germain with the first ever women's league title in club history. Ariana also earned several caps with the Italian women's national team. She now works as a consultant, which allows her to use her experience, education and creativity to help football stakeholders build sustainable and accelerated blueprints that raise the women's game. How are you, Ariana? Are you excited for the um, World Cup? I'm so excited for Thursday to arrive. I feel like we've been counting down forever. It's been a longer countdown than when you're getting to Christmas. <laughs> it has. And who are you playing? Who's first on your list? To win it or to watch? To watch. To watch. I mean, I want to watch the opening rounds, but I'm very nervous about this time difference. I have to be totally honest with you. It's a it's a special time in my life. And so in, in, insomnia is already hitting in. So if I'm asleep, I don't know if I'm going to be able to wake up for some of these matches. <laughs> I know. We're looking forward to some breakfast games over here. And my second guest today is Elliot Arthur Wersop, founder of Football for Future. How are you, Elliot? Hi, Katie. Yeah, doing really well. Thanks. It's great to be here. And finally, I have Britt Saylor. Player, are you a midfielder? Did I get that right? I'm a midfielder, indeed, yeah. For Dulwich Hamlet FC. Have you got your viewing cup schedule sorted yet? <laughs> yeah, you know, we're actually, because we're just starting pre-season, we are um, basically planning pre-season around being able to watch the game. So we're like, oh, can we start training at this period of time so we can all watch the games together? after a training session. So yeah, really, really looking forward to it. Amazing. It is an exciting build-up week. So we have a few World Cup campaigns running at the moment around various things. So Elliot, you've recently played a huge role in the biggest player-led climate action in the history of football uh, with Football for Future 
common goal and set up, I believe, or initiated initially by Sophie Young-Peterson, in which 44 players have committed to creating a positive environmental legacy for the Women's World Cup. Can you let us know how this kind of campaign came about, how Sophie initiated it and what that's played out to look like? Yeah, absolutely, Katie. So um, I guess where the, the conversation started is we're working with Common Goal to deliver climate education to a group of their players who we call the Climate Champion Community, where we talk about the fundamentals of the climate crisis and its relationship with football and, and also talking about you know the history of athlete activism and what that might look like in football through the, the lens of climate action. Um, and that's where the you know Sophie had the idea initially and she mentioned it to us and we we knew that we'd be able to support her in, in a way where we could try and get as many players and try to you know ensure the reliability and credibility and ultimately the impact of, of what she wanted to do. Um, so what it's looked like is it's these players who are flying uh, acknowledge that you know there is an environmental impact associated with their flights to the World Cup. It's in Australia and New Zealand and these players have trained their whole lives to be able to represent their country at the highest level. So it was about, once again, acknowledging that there is a negative environmental impact of it and then looking at how they can go about trying, trying to mitigate that and turn that into a type of positive environmental legacy to their World Cup. Okay, that's really interesting and a very, very bold, well, a new move we've seen from Sophie there because it's very rare that players stand up and take a lead because, I guess, which you touched upon, the fears of, I guess, being held up as hypocrites because they are having to fly for their work. Can you, um, well, maybe touch upon that a little bit more in a minute. Can you just um, go into a little bit more detail about what this kind of climate action entails? Yeah, absolutely. So, We've got, I think we had four or five participating countries in the end. So we tried to calculate as best as we could the distances from the host nation airport all the way to the airport where they'd be arriving in Australia or New Zealand um, and the return flight as well. Um, understanding how much carbon may be associated with that. It was an estimate due to so many di different variables. And then we tried to associate a financial value to that amount of carbon. So we used something called the social the social cost of carbon, which is um, basically the the uh, the cost of that the carbon will have in the atmosphere over the next 100 years. And there are different numbers uh, that are used to be able to uh, as a standard for the social cost of carbon. But we use the standard which is used by the U.S. government in policymaking. Um, and then from that, we could understand how much these players might want to donate. And instead of doing carbon offsetting, because there are many controversies around that for different reasons, uh, due to accreditations and verifications and time lags, um, we the players invested it into climate resilience. So they're not trying to claim that their flights were carbon neutral or anything like that. They're just trying to do something good for the planet, which has a legacy of, I, I suppose, it's unprecedented player-led climate advocacy. It's also, you know, normalizing this climate conversation in football. It's trying to have a positive impact on the planet. And there was also a policy angle as well, where we're highlighting that, look, offsetting or investing in climate resilience or nature-based solutions is not the answer to the climate crisis, but what needs to happen in the long term is that governing bodies need to take some responsibility here and incorporate environment as a key criteria in the bidding process to host tournaments. That's really interesting. Actually, I want to touch upon something you've said there, because I think this is a really important point to bring up. So you're right. There are a lot of controversies around offsetting. You know, we tend to see this quite a lot. Certainly, uh, we saw this with the Qatar World Cup. They claimed to be the first carbon neutral tournament. And very recently, those claims were actually 
there were, there were complaints made about them to the Swiss Advertising Standards Authority and those were upheld. But even if offsetting is, is kind of certified, we still see a lot of kind of controversy around this. And there are a number of reasons for this. You know, one is, does it work? I mean, obviously with offsetting, a lot of these techniques involve planting trees and they have to reach, you know, full maturity at 25 years. They have to be able to get there without that disease, without those, without falling down, without fires, etc. Secondly, obviously, I mean, is this a solution? Is this going to solve the climate crisis with offsetting? And both of those you've covered, you've said it isn't offsetting, you're absolutely right. And instead, what they've done very wisely and you guys have looked at is those mitigation projects. I guess the third thing I'd be really interested in your opinion on it is, I guess, the optics of it, because you're right, the power of this to actually say to governing bodies, we need, want to see change is huge. Do you feel that with offsetting, or not offsetting their flights, sorry, with calculating this with their flights and investing it into another project, do you think it's starting to normalise the fact that it's okay to fly as long as you put money into projects that mitigate the impact of climate change? Um, do you think, what do you think, I guess, could be the most effective thing they could do? And you've mentioned the policy angle. Um, do you think there are other more effective things that players could also do? I think there's definitely, <clears throat> um, I don't think anybody's trying to you know, justify flying and you know, the players admit that they're not perfect. It's like one of the key comms lines, which you know, they've all been using on, on their social medias, et cetera. Um, but I think there's different types of impact that the players can have. They do have an impact in terms of investing. We calculated it was around 20,000 pounds that have been, that's been donated into different restoration initiatives. So there's a great impact that that's been having on, in making that happen. Uh, once again, it's quite untangible and we're not trying to calculate that but just acknowledge that, that it has happened but other than that there's the social influence in terms of inspiring other players maybe players who care about this and they've never been bold enough to be able to use their platforms and they've just seen wow 45 players are using the world cup to publicly advocate for climate for the first time in their careers why not me so i think a lot of the legacy we don't actually know what that's going to be yet in terms of the inspiration and the normalization of this conversation um and then, yeah, definitely the policy angle is is a really big one. Uh, the launch was just last week on Thursday, and um, Sophie tragically got got uh, an injury, and she's had to come come back to to, to Europe. Um, so you know, we're taking things slow. The weekend's just ended, and we're gonna we're gonna be having conversations and sort of having a chat about how you know how the launch went, how it was received, and is there a next step? What what might that be? Um, but at the moment, I think it's just, yeah, taking taken our hats off to all of these players who've chosen to be bold and brave and courageous to, to use their platform in a way that's never been done before. And I think it's just about really sort of trying to kick off that climate conversation in football. And also really, I think another important thing is to, to highlight this conversation around offsetting and the problems that does come with it. I think that's actually a really valuable thing that we're doing too. That's great. Thank you, Elliot. And, you know, like like we said, all credit to those players who've been bold enough to make a move on this. So this year's Women's World Cup is being held, as you said, in Australia and New Zealand. And New Zealand is somewhere that, again, you've mentioned, we've seen the real impact of climate change in 2023. One of the host cities, Auckland, where New Zealand kicks off their tournament against Norway, was hit with catastrophic flash floods, which injured over 1,300 people and damaged over 6,000 buildings to the biggest climate event in New Zealand's history. We're looking 
in a few years time at the men's world cup being held in the u.s right now in the u.s people are not able to leave their apartments because of air quality and heat brit we've been seeing quite unprecedented te unprecedented temperatures not only in the u.s but also in northern europe at the moment we know that for example in greece the acropolis was was shut off the tourists in Italy, people have been advised not to go outside between 11 and six because of the heat. How do you think this will have impacted the training of various football teams within these countries? Yeah, I think it's a really good question to kind of ponder on. I suppose in the immediate effect, right in the lead up to the World Cup, because they're all kind of Australia, New Zealand based, I think, there's probably an element where um, they're not so affected by that at this point. But as an example, like you mentioned, Katie, with some of the air quality and some of the heat factors in the States at the moment, um, NWSL, they are in the midst of their season at the moment, which is kind of summertime in North America. So there will be an element where they'll have to be changing the times that they're training in. And if you're training either early in the morning or late in the day, there is a lot of research that shows that if you're training kind of really early or really late in a time that you're tired, your body's not awake yet, that could really introduce some injuries into those players that are having to accommodate the, the essentially the climate and the time changes for their training schedules. Um, as you mentioned in, in Europe as well, while they're not necessarily in season, there are a lot of individuals who haven't unfortunately traveled to the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, we're in the midst of training right now and just probably aren't able to get the, the kind of quality of training that they'd like to. Perhaps they're training indoors instead as opposed to, to outdoors. So yeah, I would say from a training perspective, um, it's probably heavily impacting the way that um, the teams and the players are able to go about the way that they train at the moment. And Ariana, I guess playing into that World Cup then that we're gonna see in the US, um, A, if that World Cup was happening now, you know, if it was four years time, do you think it could happen? And we're going to see a lot of player travel, you know, across from venue to venue with 48 teams in this World Cup coming up. What are your thoughts on this and the kind of feasibility of this moving forwards? Sorry, Katie, I missed the first part of your question. Oh, no problem. So really just playing off what Brit has said about, you know, training conditions, both within Italy and within the US, and bearing in mind that, the World Cup will be four years, you know, from now in the US at this time of year. What do you think that says for A, the feasibility of holding the World Cup at that time of year, but B, the fact that there's also going to be 48 teams traveling miles across the country because of the kind of sparsity of the venues? Well, I think there's going to be a World Cup before the women get there that we can solve a lot of problems and make the Women's World Cup much, much better than the men's that will be preceding it. So I think that's one step in the right direction. Um, I mean, there's been record heat. I think, I mean, I live in France now. And so watching the news here, we saw that in Las Vegas yesterday it was 47 degrees Celsius, um, just record heat waves. And there was a World Cup that was placed in, in an Arab country recently uh, that was very, very hot, as you mentioned before. So the World Cup wasn't in the summer, so maybe changing the time of when the World Cup is played. Uh, however, I think it's been hot. You go through preseason in August in a lot of countries that are very hot, even myself playing in Italy, I played where we played on turf and it wasn't the best turf and literally the bottom of our feet would blister because of how hot the, the turf would get. And so we'd have to train earlier in the morning or later in the evening and and this isn't something new to football. I think these 
it's getting hotter, obviously, but trying to deal with summer heat in certain areas, myself being from Southern California or playing in tournaments in the desert during the summertime, the games could start at 7 a.m. or training starts much, much earlier. And then you have a longer break in between those. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. And besides cha changing when these tournaments are happening, so maybe more in the wintertime or, or pushing it back a month or pushing it forward a month. However, we also are going to have to try to find a solution to be able to play because if the temperatures keep rising, we could change the tournaments, but the seasons aren't necessarily going to be shortened or having more games played in a smaller amount of time. That's also a different argument for a different day about the scheduling and how women are playing for injuries and stuff like that. So I think it's a topic that has to come up and maybe it can also be how the stadiums are built or how training facilities are built. Can they be built in a way that that is more sustainable or keeps it cooler inside or, you know, can shoes be built out of a different product that doesn't heat up your feet. And, and I think other questions will come into play about how we can solve this because with the temperatures rising, I don't think we can fundamentally change the temperature of the earth, but what can we do around it and what are solutions that can help the players? Elliot, what are your thoughts on, um, yeah, on the U S tournament and the expanding of that tournament? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, it does seem at the moment uh, that climate considerations are not front and, you know, uh, the uh, sorry, at, at the moment, I think uh, it doesn't seem as though climate considerations are at the forefront of tournament organisers when it comes to, you know, World Cups and, and other big competitions, whether it's uh, introducing more teams or having tournaments played over bigger distances or more games or wh whatever it might be, uh, merchandising, etc. But it's, it's not just the tournament organizers as well. I mean, there are so many uh, stake stakeholders who are involved, in including players, including fans, including sponsors, including brands. So I think it's, you know, about really trying to have a holistic uh, conversation with, you know, lo looking at who's involved in in this event, these mega events. I mean, they're some of the the biggest shows that humanity have, have ever put on, um, and then seeing who contributes in what different ways from an environmental impact perspective, whether it's around uh, education, whether it's around broadcasting, whether it's around travel. Um, what can national governments do to be able to support that? And of course, that would come within the bidding process as well if a nation is is bidding for a tournament. Um, it's the way that the game's growing at the moment is not compatible with a healthy planet, let alone, you know, the future of football being able to be played in the way that it still is. So, um, but I think we're at a really interesting moment in time where we're starting to have these conversations that were never, ever happening before. So uh, that gives me a lot of hope. And let's see what happens with the uh, with the bids for, for 2030. Yeah, there's some really interesting points raised there. And I think... What's particularly interesting here is a how we're seeing, you know, the game being impacted in the first instance by climate change now. As you said, Ariana, it's about how we kind of have to adapt and mitigate there. But then also um, looking at football as a whole, as you said earlier, and looking at all the stakeholders involved and how we minimise impact, but also potentially how we use football as a platform to basically protect those places where we play. Ariana, did you want to dive in there? Yeah, I wanted to jump in. Well, first off, I totally like blanked and was thinking that you were talking about the women, the next Women's World Cup, because they're talking about putting it in the US too. But now I'm realizing that we were just talking about the Men's World Cup, which is totally fine. And so on that point, though, um, coming into the US, I'd really love to see maybe some more high speed trains come into the States. We don't really have it. And it's not very common, depending on where you live. 
myself as a Southern California, we don't use trains. Um, other cultures, because of the public transportation, if you're in New York or Chicago or something, or Philadelphia, you might take it between New York and there. But it would be a really great push from the government to maybe build some trains or get some high-speed trains into these areas. And so if you have Atlanta and Chicago connecting them faster, fans can go to the games this way. The players could also possibly travel on trains rather than private jets and the amount of emissions that those would take. Not to mention physically for players, being on the trains, being able to walk around, uh, it might be it might be an hour or so more of travel, but it would actually be more comfortable for them rather than going up in the air and and all the other issues that come with that. So I'd love to see some trains get involved. What a legacy as well as the World Cup that like the World Cup in the US basically sparks a whole train network within the US. That would be unreal. Yeah. OK. Right. Who's taking Elliot next campaign? <laughs> uh, right. So FIFA have made some. Uh, measure taken some measures for this World Cup. We've mentioned Qatar already, so we'll park that one. Uh, but in this World Cup, they have created their own list of sustainability strategy priorities. So they're going to reduce impact, they're assessing emissions, they're promoting adaptation and reduction, and raising fan awareness to mitigate the competition's impact. They are minimizing waste sent to landfill, so they're implementing waste reduction strategies proper waste separating practices, uh, promoting reuse, recycling and responsible disposal. They are fostering more sustainable buildings. They are supporting official stadiums in achieving sustainable building certification and they are ensuring sustainable procurement. So they have a sustainable procurement policy and sourcing code to ensure ethical practices minimizing environmental impact. How important is it, do we think, that FIFA are making these efforts? And is it enough? Uh, Britt, would you like to kick off for that one? Yeah, no, I think I think it's extremely important that FIFA are showing some effort towards sustainability and sustainability measures. I think like most other organizations, it is great to have these objectives, but to ensure that they're actually going to reach those objectives, I think is really important. So not just talking about what they're going to do, but how they're going to do it and what that's really going to unlock. It's fine to say that we are going to recycle, but what are you actually trying to achieve by recycling? So I think it's really important that the value and the impact is attached to some of these statements because it gets to the point of when you are making these statements, you can get into a little bit of greenwashing if you don't have a lot of information to back it up of what you're trying to achieve and what that's essentially going to contribute to our goals as a society towards sustainability. And not just around some of the environmental elements as well, but the communities that we're um, placing these World Cups and these tournaments within, how are we impacting those as well? So while I do, I, I don't mean to sound cynical, and I do think it's really important that FIFA is making a pledge, taking a step. I actually just wrote one of my master's papers on FIFA and the World Cup and how I think they should be way more sustainable than they are. Um, and so I'm really happy to hear that. But I think as well, we really need some tangible, clear outcomes and clear value that we're trying to drive. And I think that's where um, we'll kind of continue to gain that maturity and sustainability um, in football. Oh, I definitely picked the best person there, having done your master's thesis on it. Uh, <laughs> Ariana, is it enough, do you think? I mean, is anything ever enough? But I would say in this case, for the fact that I didn't know some of those things that you said, and I read a lot and I pay attention to this space, I think that's also a problem. I think if they're not 
getting visibility, which Britt touched upon, and making sure that people know that these are happening and bringing it to the forefront. I think also Elliot mentioned that the part of the players making this pledge is, is not necessarily that, I mean, it's amazing, but it's not that these 44 players are now going to solve the whole problem. It's bringing awareness to this problem. And now that the fans are going to go look it up or they're going to pay more attention or it's going to be conscious in their mind is super important. And so I think I'd love for FIFA to maybe put some more marketing dollars behind these campaigns so that people know that they exist and engage the fans and, in competitions or win tickets if you if you do stuff or or make it fun and engaging with some some fan engagement partial to this too that would really bring more people to pay attention to these things and understand why they're doing it like having some signs or having the correct trash cans is one thing but if you come from a culture that doesn't recycle or doesn't get it it doesn't help if you don't have the other pieces of the campaign that need to go with it and the activations that's a very good point yeah and i think the other thing we have to mention here, of course, is the fans and the power that they have. I mean, some fans, you're right, don't have that awareness, but other fans have way more awareness. And we've seen them questioning, for example, in the UK, we've seen them questioning why clubs are flying, uh, why they're flying their players across the country. They've questioned why bother promoting uh, reusable water bottles when we look at you guys on the pitch and you're just chucking away, you know, disposable plastic ones. So... I certainly heard a little anecdote from Everton that they had one fan write in and this supposedly initiated uh, Everton to start addressing their sustainability. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But certainly the voice needs to be there, that communication. Elliot, you and I, uh, we both chose to work specifically in football to start with addressing uh, the climate crisis. Why? Why do you think football offers such a, an incredible platform, really, to bring about the changes that we need to see? Yeah, I think um, you know, there's a, a fantastic saying that flies around the sector, which is that um, no social phenomenon is more powerful than football and, and nothing is more important than protecting the planet. Uh, we can look at other examples of football being just such an incredible vehicle for change and accelerating important conversations around race, around LGBTQ+, around um, gender equity, food poverty, you name it and there was just probably the same time as you were realizing it katie like a, a deafening silence of um anything to do with climate or environment and football and i think football is it reaches people in every single corner of the world across socio-economic divides it unites people across gender race class ethnicity religion almost like nothing else i could really ever think of um and I think that in itself is, you know, one of the, the main reasons why working in football and climate is so exciting, because the potential to break the echo chamber of the climate conversation is pretty unparalleled, in my opinion. Um, also, if you think about it, um, you know, the, the most powerful media platforms today are no longer the BBC or The Guardian or Al Jazeera or The New York Times. It's the social media accounts of these big brands, clubs and players in the game. And if you want to get a message across to, to new people en masse, uh, you know, if somebody can tell me a better way to do that than football, um, I'm still listening. Yes, absolutely. That's a great answer. Ariana, how did you, I mean, Elliot's kind of touched upon when that first realisation and that move into football. How did you initially become interested in football's climate crisis? 
I mean, for me, I think it's just growing up in Southern California and and then making the switch when I came to Europe and seeing the difference in how we pay attention to recycling. And for me, it was just super normal to recycle. We have multiple trash cans in my house. It was like growing up. I don't know if you guys do this in in England, but uh, the six cans on your soda, like the, that plastic, and we cut it to make sure that if it fell into the water, like it didn't go around the turtle's heads. And I think this was just like a U.S. campaign, maybe, because I think Britt nodded her head there for a sec. But um, all of those little things and people would come to our schools and talk about recycling. And I remember one time going home and telling my mom I didn't want juice boxes anymore. I wanted her to buy the, the reusable box and we could buy a bigger juice and I would pour it in there and, and all of these things. And then coming to Italy first and then even in France and my teammates not recycling whatsoever. And I have this visual in my head of one of my teammates who that our house was really clean and her car was really clean, but she would just throw her trash out of the car. So the ground around everybody could be really dirty. And and this is something you kind of see in Italy, like there's trash everywhere, but people's homes are very clean, um, which makes no sense. Like why you, that's still for me, it's still where you live outside your house. And um, and so just seeing this and then for me, seeing how much stuff we have on the football field. You mentioned water bottles, but it goes so much beyond that. When you walk off the field and there's tapes and there's uh, banana peels and there's protein bars, uh, wrappers, and there's just so much. It's not just trash. Some of it, it could be reused to do other stuff, but there's just so much stuff after a game or after a training that we could start to figure out, like there must be a tape that could be reused or a different way to do things that we're not using so much stuff. And even like in football every year you have like five jerseys and all the brands are going to kill me for saying this, but I love that Brentford doesn't change both jerseys every year. I think that's a really cool initiative also with an economic crisis and the fans just can't afford to buy that many jerseys and the prices are skyrocketing, but like we just have so much stuff every year you get all your new training gear and it's so much stuff um, that, that there's a, there's a point of, okay, but how much do we really need and and how could we do this better in my opinion? And, and so just seeing these things is, is where I come in of wanting to solve that. Like, I just think for me, it's more responsibility if I can recycle in my own house and, and now my French husband does it. And then people come to our house and they ask me which trash cans, which it's these small things that might make a difference and then have people walk the extra mile to take your glass to the glass place, because also they don't make it easy in Europe to recycle, which is also very frustrating. Um, and if it's not easy, most people aren't going to do it. So how can we change and, and make these day-to-day small changes that will, that will make a difference. And then, um, and then I joined a group called Echo Athletes and I really enjoy, um, speaking with other athletes and how they do it different in their sport. And, and it's interesting to see which sports are, are more a part of these organizations than others. And, and it's usually the sports that are more affected. So a lot of water sports and beach sports are very, much a part of this because I think they see it more and you realize when trash is coming up on the beaches or when you're sailing and you see it in the water, how important it is to pay attention to these things. There's some great points there. I, I like that kind of image of people just chucking trash outside their home, but in their box, they're fine. That's great. I think that also the other thing that's quite powerful there is you're right. There's so much, you know, around football that we buy that gets dumped you think if the reverse is true, imagine if all those who played football, if all those who watched football actually decided they were going to take a stand on this. You know, like you look at all the training boots, right? I'm just going to buy some secondhand ones or I'm only going to switch my jersey like once every ever so many years. How how many pile, how many piles of stuff we'd actually cut down on from deciding that as a football community? Like the potential there is absolutely huge. 
Um, have you noticed from when when you were playing to now, have you noticed a shift in kind of interest in climate action from athletes, Ariana? I mean, I only stopped two years ago, so I wouldn't say that there's this massive change uh, in the last two years. I mean, I knew Sophie when I played and so sad to see that she won't be representing Denmark in, in the World Cup now. Um, but no, I think there's more initiatives coming, but I also think this could be as a result of more visibilities coming to women's football. So the women have more of a platform to speak up on. And I think this is a huge uh, kind of a, a positive circle rather than a vicious circle, which the, the recycling and stuff or and all of that is. I think this is a really positive circle of the visibility and women caring a lot about these topics and not being afraid to step up. I mean, imagine if 44 men from the Men's World Cup had done this and it would be completely different today. Um, so I think that's a, a really important one to look at and and hopefully just more teams will start paying attention and hopefully it's not it's not greenwashing. You're not doing it just so that you can get a social media hit or that you get posted, but you're you're consciously making a change in the way you live your life to walk that extra 10 meters to throw it in the right place or to properly look. I think the other thing that gets really difficult with recycling, and this is just a random rant, but like not all things can be recycled, even if you assume they're supposed to be recycled, like you actually have to look at it correctly. And so I think we need a lot more education on on these sort of things, too. Yeah, definitely agree. And a lot more conversation around it. Let's chat football and climate all the time. <laughs> Who doesn't want to do that? Um, okay, before I bring on Heather, <laughs> I have a special question for you all. Uh, I hope you, some of you saw the notes of this because you <laughs> might need to give it some thought. So what I want to know is who you'll be backing in the Women's World Cup, who are your favourites to win, and if they were a dessert, why would they be that dessert? <laughs> or what dessert would they be and why? Uh, I'll look for the person who looks most ready to answer this question, which looks like Elliot. He looks cool as a cucumber. Elliot, who are you? who's your favourite to win and which dessert would they be and why? <laughs> which dessert would they be? I mean, that bit's definitely throwing me. I'm not really a dessert kind of guy, I'm not going to lie. But um, if it was a starter, no. Um, obviously, the Lionesses, I'm going to be backing them. Um, I've got, you know, a few people in the squad who I'll be following particularly closely, who I have pre-existing relationships with and that we won. We just won the Euros. I'm English. I'm an England fan. So I, I think it's a, it's a no-brainer. And, and what dessert would they be? I'd probably say, like, maybe, like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe like, a, uh, a raspberry, like, a, <laughs> an ice cream but two scoops right so one is one is like a raspberry and one's a mango sorbet so like best of both worlds and just the best <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks for that <laughs> I feel like you picked the short straw there now he looks most ready ariana or brit <laughs> and brit i'm gonna pick on you i know you better yeah no worries um well being from america that's the team that I'm going to be following, the team I'm going to be watching. However, I live in London. And so after the Euros, the Lionesses do have a little piece of my heart that if they do progress in the US though, I won't be terribly, terribly sad. I'll still be happy. My partner is British. So, um, it, you know, it's a win-win really for me, but I would love to see the States win. I actually think they've run this uh, World Cup cycle really, really well, you know, kind of wobbled in the Olympics, but I think where they are right now is just in a really good place. So if they were a dessert, I'd probably say chocolate cake with chocolate frosting because it's luxurious, it's rich, it's decadent, and all these things that uh, America, I guess, are. So, and it's the best. 
chocolate's the best. So that's um, my, my vote. And Megan's last last tournament, of course. Um, and Ariana, <laughs> over to you. The finale. So, so I don't have a team. I don't. I don't really think. I just want women's football to to like win. And I know that's super super cliche, but I just want to see really really good competitive football throughout the whole tournament. And I really want to see a dark horse either win the whole thing or at least go really far. Like I want to see like a Haiti or Jamaica or even an African team just just blow everybody out of the water. Like watching Zambia beat Germany and everybody's jaw drop was just shocking because I would have said Germany, not my, I mean, I all the teams, I like all the teams really. Uh, I would have put Germany up there though to win until I saw what happened against Zambia, but maybe that's the wake up call they need. So I just really want like a really fun tournament. Um, I don't think the U.S. is going to do it. I'm sorry, Britt. I know that, like, we can never count the U.S. out, but I just think this is a, a growing year for them, and, like, they've had some injuries and, like, some other stuff. So I would never count them out, but I don't I don't know if they're going to take it. But I know I'm definitely not answering your question, but I will be cheering. I was going to say, is this your elaborate way of getting it out of the dessert question? No, no. I will say at pick a team. I'll give you a dessert for that team. How's that? Okay, Tell me any good. team, and I will, I'll think of a dessert that you can put on that team. Spain. A lot of in-house fighting. What would you go for here? Spain. What kind of dessert would you eat in Spain? Okay, well, I would say for Spain, I would like bring in some American ideals, but like I'd have like tapas dessert. So you'd have like really small, like a lot of different small ones of like cakes and like all the different kinds of things that you could do in Spain because I also think that kind of sums up their team right now. Like you can't call Spain a cake because they're definitely not all together. So you've got a whole bunch of yummy little pieces and maybe it's going to be an amazing dessert or maybe it's going to just be way too rich and a terrible decision and you're going to get a stomach ache. And so we'll go with that. I'll go with the toughest dessert of Spain. <laughs> That's great. I want to run through the whole, all, all the teams now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, that was a really uh, enjoyable chat. Thank you very much. We are now going to uh, wheel out Heather, who's currently hiding backstage. Um, because as part of this wonderful 90 Men Pledgeable Content Partnership, we, for those guys who haven't listened before, um, do a regular Pledgeable update, which this time is a pretty special one because, of course, it is not the normal football season and we have our own Women's World Cup campaign that is coming up with some pretty tasty prizes. So, Heather, over to you. Thanks, Katie. So, yeah, so after a fantastic season um, of Pledge Ball League, we wanted to run a campaign around the Women's World Cup as we're super excited to watch uh, what we anticipate is going to be an epic tournament. So we had a thought about what kind of themes we wanted to look at and following on from the letter that the Lionesses wrote to the UK government, calling on them to ensure that girls can play football in PE lessons. We wanted to make girls education one of the themes of our campaign. Because, according to research, girls accessing education has the potential of avoiding nearly 85 gigatons of carbon emissions, and girls who play sports are more likely to get better grades at school. Therefore, we wanted to build Pledge Bowl's World Cup campaign on the Lionesses Euros legacy. So, supported by RSK Group, Football Beyond Borders, Global Fan Network TV, and 90 Men Football, our campaign aims to reduce emissions in two different ways. So, we want to rally the international community of fans to collectively reduce emissions and take a stand on environmental sustainability. But we also want to support girls' access to sport and education, both in the UK and abroad. 
We have also partnered with Nixibody, an industry game changer in reducing the environmental impact of menstrual and incontinence products. Nixibody provides a low impact alternative for period and incontinence products that helps make a small helps us to make a small change to move to a more sustainable lifestyle. So what's the campaign all about? So throughout the World Cup, um, advocates from competing nations across the world be encouraging their fellow fans to pledge uh, in support of their national teams. And the more pledges that are made in support of the teams, the further up the Pledge Bowl World Cup league table they climb. But also fans are entered in a draw to win prizes. So if you make a pledge, you could be in with a chance of winning a copy of Football Manager 2023. There are physical and digital copies available um, or a pledgeable shirt signed by players and pundits such as Adibayo Akinfenwa, Lindsay Hipgrave, Owen Hargreaves, Robbie Savage, Steve McManaman, Chris Sutton and Jules Breach. We also have tickets up for grabs to watch the Lionesses play Scotland later in the year. Uh, that's a really cool prize too. So if you want your team to win on and off the pitch, you need to get pledging. We are very excited to kick off this campaign and watch lots of football for the next few weeks. And we know who will be pledging in support of every single fixture just to win those Scottish Scotland England game <laughs> tickets. That'll right? be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. It has been an absolute joy having you on this podcast. Um, some really interesting topics covered. And here's to Thursday's kickoff. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.